0: Last week, we talked about love one another, and I got a, uh, a text message forwarded uh, to me this week uh, from Brandy Milburn, Brandy Wave. Uh, Brandy's our uh, Embrace Grace uh, leader, our Embrace Grace director. Uh, she and her husband, Jimmy, um, uh, head up that ministry, Embrace Grace, Embrace Life, um, uh, Embrace Greatness for the guys. That was on the tip of my tongue. And... Uh, Brandy got a letter from one of the embrace grace girls uh, this week um, just show of hands who uh, here volunteers with embrace grace you've been a part of embrace grace just kind of raise your hand wave your hand around embrace grace people uh, yes awesome ministry uh, but- Brandy got a letter that she uh, forwarded to me and I asked her if I could share just an excerpt of this and it goes right along with what we talked about last week. Uh, Listen to this, it's gonna be up on the screen. It says, Jesus said that the world would know that he was sent from the Heavenly Father when people saw the love between believers. And so this is a letter of Embrace Grace Girl uh, writing to Brandy. My first thought as I wrote was that you guys, Brandy and Jimmy and the Embrace Grace leaders and Crossroads and everyone who has been there for me, you guys just love, capital L-O-V-E, you guys just love before, after, in it, through it, because of it, Because he does, I know that that kind of love can only be done through Christ because of him and does stand as one of the tipping moments that I was and am able to wholeheartedly accept Jesus as my Savior. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, let's uh, let's thank the Lord for that. We talked specifically about that. The love of Jesus Christ that we share for one another, that we extend beyond these walls is the tipping point in people's lives. Uh, They're in awe, the the New Testament church, as people saw the love that they have for one another, that people were in awe of what God was doing in their midst. They were called to love one another. And that love starts and it it grows, and and it expands, and, and the result is change. Perspectives change, attitudes change, assumptions change, and today I want us to look at, at another aspect that, that, that goes along with that love, but it's, it's the, the, the results of us loving one another, embracing what Christ has done for us, and that is another imperative in Scripture. It's another one another statement, and that is forgive one another. He said, okay, Darren, love was, that was a good one. That was just kind of a a nicer. Now you're getting into our our stuff. Um, Well, uh, stick with me. We'll get into your stuff. We'll get into my stuff too. But in the end, it's going to be something that's very worthwhile. Look at Matthew chapter 18. And we're just going to touch on this this morning because uh, I've, I've talked about this many times before. This is Peter and Jesus, and, and they're talking, and all the other disciples are around, and Peter, uh, I love Peter's relationship with Jesus. It was just raw and unfiltered, and, and a, a lot of us, including myself, are like Peter, just a short wire from the brain to the mouth and we just say what we're thinking, and uh, it's, it's unfiltered. And here, once again, Peter's with Jesus, and he asks Jesus this question. He says, how many times must I forgive those or someone who sins against me? And he he proposes seven. And in, in a casual read of this, you might not think much about it, just, okay, well, well what's going on here? But if you know Jewish culture and you know what what the the teachings of the rabbis were you'll know that that something else was going on here and that that is this that in what the rabbis taught according to the law that that uh, someone who was following the law follower of the law was only required to forgive someone who had sinned against them three times three times, it's like three strikes and you're out, okay? You can, you can wrong me once and I have to forgive. You can wrong me twice, you have, I have to forgive. You can wrong me three times after you, but the fourth time I am exempt from having to extend forgiveness to you. It's just Jewish culture. They knew that this was the case. Well, so here Peter, he's bantering back and forth with Jesus. And he says, so how many times must I forgive? Seven and he's thinking that he's big man on campus. He's got this, just he, he, he's going way beyond. He didn't just say four or five. He went to the holy number. And, and don't think for a minute that he didn't pick that on purpose. And so he's sitting there, he's bowing up with Jesus, and he's saying, seven? Thinking that Jesus was going to come up to him, pat him on the back, and go, my goodness, you're spiritual. My goodness. Goodness, you got it. You're the best. May I bow and grovel at your feet. He's, I don't know if he's thinking this, but maybe. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Some versions say 77 times, and it, it, it's, it doesn't matter what the version says. The, the connotation that Jesus is getting at here is infinite. I'll take your seven and multiply it. Uh, it, You never stop forgiving. And there's Peter, big, huge head, and all of a sudden Jesus in one sentence just pops that vanity and pride. Seven? And Jesus says, no, let me tell you, it's 70 times Seven, it goes way beyond. And that's key because we live in a messy uh, community. We live in a messy situation. Uh, here at Crossroads, we say we were created for community. You were never called to live in isolation, you were created to live in community. And, and when we live in community with one another, it's going to be messy. Hear me, if two people are in the same room, there will be two opinions. If there are three people in a room, there are going to be about nine. It just kind of grows exponentially from there nine opinions. Maybe 12, who knows? But the more people you get in a room, you have opinions and likes and dislikes and, and, and tendencies and preferences, and, and life gets messy. It does. And that's why Jesus honed in on this. See, people say uh, families would be great. Some of you will be spending uh, this afternoon or tomorrow with families. And and I've heard you. Uh, Family, my family would be great if it wasn't for all my family members. (laughs) Right? How about this one? My church would be awesome if it wasn't for all the people in my church. You know? Wouldn't life be great if every single person looked and thought and spoke exactly like me? I know you've thought that before, but you know what? That would be a pretty boring place. It really would. And so we've been called to community. We've been created for community. And yet when we enter into community, wherever two or three are gathered, yes, the presence of the Lord is there, but wherever two or three are gathered, there's bound to be two or three opinions and two or three ways of doing things, and two or three preferences of doing things, and therein lies the mess. The disciples were no different. You just read along through the, the Gospels and you're going to find a mess. You're going to find stuff that, that, that they were going through, the interactions. The New Testament church is no different. Turn over to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And this is a, I just want to take a look at this. This is a a passage of Scripture a portion of Scripture that we usually hone in on around uh, our communion service, when we uh, participate in the Lord's Supper together. We did this last week, Uh, we'll do this next week, where we gather around the Lord's table and and you think this is a New Testament church, it's the Corinthian church, this is a church that Paul had poured so much of his life in, and yet it was a mess, Uh, There were people who were in community together. They they were seeking the Lord. They were wanting uh, God's presence there with them. And yet, Paul identifies that there's something that was going wrong. Take a look at verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 11. He says, but in the following instructions, I cannot praise you. For it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. What he's saying is, when you guys get together, you're hurting each other so much so that that when you get together, you're actually doing more harm than it is good. And, And if you follow that logic, it's almost better if you don't meet. That's a harsh indictment for this New Testament church, isn't it? You guys are getting together, which is what God wants you to do, but... You guys are jumping all over each other. You're hurting each other when you get together. Look at verse 18. First, he says, I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church. And to some extent, I believe it. But of course, there must be division among you so that those who have God's approval will be recognized. But he goes on, verse 20. I want to hone in here. When you meet together, you are really interested in the Lord's... You are not, sorry. You are not really interested in the Lord's Supper, For some of you, hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. What? He says. I would put even an exclamation point there. What? What's going on? Don't you have your own homes for eating or drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. He's going and saying, here, you're in community. You're brothers and sisters in Christ, and yet your focus is only on yourself. You're hurting each other. Community is messy. You have people with personalities, with tendencies, with backgrounds, with upbringings, with with preferences and ideas and thoughts and all those things, and it will be messy. When God's people come together, there'll be sparks. Conflict happens in relationships, even in the church, and the enemy would want those conflicts to mark the death of the church and the death of relationships. The enemy wants to come in and amplify those so much so that you will turn your back on your brother and sister and never return. But God's plan is different. There's hope, and we need to be aware and we need to be intentional to see what the end goal is. That unity... And reconciliation and love, shared love with one another, is the goal. Unity in the body of Christ, and we need to combat the work of the enemy against the body of, of Christ that comes in to seek and to destroy. Last week we talked about love. We talked about how that is a defining fact in the or defining factor in the in the in the church and in our relationship with one another. Uh, at the beginning of the services, just before we got a chance to meet and greet one another, I talked about levels of intimacy and how uh, our desire is to move from superficial relationships into deeper relationships. And I, I, I shared a couple of steps. I want to expand on that today. It's, it's an adaptation from a, uh, a, a teaching that uh, Dr. Gary Smalley uh, uh, wrote in a book, uh, it's a marriage book, but I think it applies to us today. When people come together in community, the, the desire is to go deeper and to go into the deeper relationships, but there will be conflict and there will be those divisions and those opportunities for sparks to fly. So last week, if we can switch over to that black, blank screen, I'm going to try something here. I feel like those, uh, what's wrong end of my pen? Um, I feel like those guys on the sports shows where they're able to, you know, I don't know how they do it that fast, though. Um, Let me just see. Come on. Pastor Barry showed me how this works. Okay. And and he's away today, so I can't lean to him. So last week, I talked about the first level of intimacy is facts and feelings. Oh, sorry, facts and figures. Facts and figures. Um, Facts and figures, uh, you... Practiced that a few minutes ago. My name is Darren, and I would like to go to Colorado. Or that's not in the United States. I would like to go to Spain, or I'd like to go to uh, Italy, or I, you know, wherever it was. Facts and figures. And when you're sharing those, you've gone from being anonymous to knowing someone and something about them. That's the first level of intimacy. And you notice there's, there's no opportunity for disagreement there. I could say, hello, my name is Darren, and you can't say, no, it's not. You, I guess you could if you really wanted to, you know, get the sparks flying early in this intimacy process, but, but facts and figures is that first level of intimacy, that first layer from anonymous to knowing. The second layer or er, level I talked about last week was thoughts and feelings, So we move from facts and figures into thoughts and feelings, and and, hello, my name is Darren, I'd like to go to Switzerland, becomes I like the Dallas Cowboys. Or I don't like the Dallas Cowboys, or if you're from Texas, I love it when it rains here in Texas, and I would disagree with you, and I would say I love the sunshine and the heat, praise the Lord, because I had a lifetime's worth of rain up in the Pacific Northwest, So y'all haven't got your fill yet, I have, so we can disagree on that. You notice that it opens up the opportunity for disagreement. Many of us find that a little nerve-wracking, just going from facts and figures to thoughts and feelings and sharing that because you open up yourself to something that stands in the way here. I keep on using the wrong end of that. I call this the wall of conflict, okay? Actually, Dr. Gary Smalley calls it the wall of conflict, but I embrace it, so I'm going to call it that. But this is what happens when we move from facts and figures to thoughts and feelings is we butt up against the thing called conflict, and none of us that I know of uh, love conflict. So what do we do? We, we're moving toward the wall, and then we, we see it coming, and we, we do a U-turn, right? Okay, I'm, yes, I'm sharing my heart, and I love the Dallas Cowboys. Well, I hate the Dallas Cowboys. Well, I don't love the Dallas Cowboys quite that much, and I want to be your friend, so we kind of back away from it, and we change the subject, right? hey, let's talk about baseball, or let's talk about uh, the weather. No, don't talk about the weather, because he hates rain, you love rain, and so let's talk about something different. And and so what Dr. Gary Smalley says is, is that we end up wandering all through this area, never entering into deeper layers of intimacy, because we're afraid of it. It's gonna cause the sparks to fly, and, and nobody likes that, but the only way we can go, oh, sorry, let me back up and say that the wall of conflict, um, uh, this is opinions, I don't know if you can read that, uh, concerns and expectations. You're not going to read my writing, but anyways, you get the gist the gist. Uh, Opinions, concerns, and expectations, that all forms the the wall of conflict. But what we have to do is we have to move through this wall of conflict, through a door to get into the deeper levels of intimacy. This is the way community works. This is the way marriage works. This is the way friendships work. And I can guarantee that you can think of somebody who you have deep intimate relationship with relationally, Guaranteed, you've moved through a wall of conflict. You've gone through some heat and some despair and some hurt and some some hurts and some pains, right? Am I correct? Well, what happens when as we move through this wall of conflict, we get to this place of honesty and honor—a place of honesty and honor. Uh, uh, Ephesians chapter four talks about uh, Paul talks about speaking the truth in love. As we get deeper into this relationship with Christ and we become more Christ-like, we're, we're able in our relationships with one another to speak the truth in love. A lot of people love to speak the truth, but there's not a whole lot of love attached to it. Likewise, if it's all love and there's no truth, it's not much love, is it? But when we finally get to this place of intimacy, when we're able to move through this wall of conflict, attached to it is honesty and honor, and that comes to speaking the truth in love. If we look at the New Testament church, particularly in Acts two, we have this place eventually of met needs. Isn't that the ultimate destination? In relationships with one another, you look at the, the church in Acts 2:42. it says they're all in one accord. And they, they gave and they received and they, they, they shared what they had with one another so as there were no needs within their group that were still outstanding. just look at that. And and what's the the tendency? The tendency is to wander around in in, in these first two levels of just facts and figures, thoughts and feelings, facts and figures, thoughts and feelings. And then we wonder why it's so superficial. Even in our marriages, we get to this point where we go, facts and figures, thoughts and feelings, you know, there's a little bit of conflict, and then we back away from it. We're never willing to do the work to get through that wall of conflict, into that place of honor and honesty and met needs. It's important. If, uh, we'll keep that up there just for a moment. You have a bulletin with some, some space. you might want to take a picture of that with, with your phone because that's a masterpiece, and it's going to be in some museum one day. But <laughs> well, this is important stuff. It really is. In your marriage, in your friendships in your relationships, uh, in your businesses where you work, is very important here. Very important here because conflict separates. Conflict silences. Conflict divides. And the only way we can overcome conflict, the only way we can overcome separation and division is to push through that wall uh, of conflict and go through that door that leads into the deeper levels of intimacy. And I believe the only way we can do this is to embrace what Jesus was teaching. And that was that we need to forgive one another. We need to get to a point where going through that conflict, when we experience the hurts and the bruises and the bangs and the the bumps and the scrapes, where we're able to look to the person who's inflicted those things on us and forgive them. Otherwise, we might as well just back away from the wall of conflict and, and not even try? You know, um, I truly believe that God speaks and nudges and sometimes hits you over the head with a sledgehammer, right? And uh, I love it when there's confirmation in that, a lot of confirmation. And as a pastor, I, I try to... Um, set up these sermons uh, months in advance and go through. And, and there are some times where I go, I, I wonder, Lord, if, if this is really where you want us to be this week. Well, um, I got a confirming t- uh, text message on Monday. And um, uh, it was from a person that I haven't talked to in probably a couple of years. And you know that you're on target as a pastor when you get a living illustration on Monday of the week that you're going to talk about it on Sunday. Because in that text message was, uh, Pastor Darren, um, first of all, it said, I forgive you. And you know, uh, the first response was, well, what did I do? What did I, you know, I'm only human. What did I do? What did I, man, I didn't feel very responsible for that, but, and then the Holy Spirit just starts, working on you, right? And then it started going through further and then near the end it said, and I need to ask for your forgiveness. And hear me, it's messy. It's There's a lot of stuff, a lot of things. There's a lot more to it than that. But I, it, was, it was very time appropriate for me because it's easy to preach on it. It's another thing to practice it, right? It's easy to talk about it. It's another thing to actually put it into practice. Um, it was, I believe, just a exclamation point on what God had already been doing in my heart. Um, back last fall, a lot of this was still on my heart uh, and a lot of the, the effects of this. I'm a, I'm a very relational person and anytime there's a... Um, kind of a, an end of a friendship. I, I, I grieve over that uh, for quite some time. And last fall, I was grieving over this, this relationship uh, particularly. And I was talking to a friend of mine who lives out on the West Coast. And we were talking about it. And he said, Darren, uh, I don't know if you've done much uh, reading or, or studying lately on the year of Jubilee or the, the year of cancellation of debts. He says, but I, I think God might be speaking to you and might want to speak to you through that. So why don't you just spend a little time, to, you know, chewing on that portion of scripture. And so I did. And I really believe that, that God used that friend in my life to open up my heart and to offer forgiveness where previously I didn't think I had uh, I'd held and withheld bitterness. But it was a process. And, and Going a few months after that, I was turning the corner from November into December. And and, uh, as many of you know, I turned uh, the big 5-0 last December. Well, and as I was gearing myself up for that big milestone in my life, it dawned on me that the year of cancellation of debts and the year of Jubilee is the 50th year. Seven sevens. Seven years, seven times of seven years. And I once again said, hey, wonder if God's trying to tell me something. You know, uh, and it became, those last couple of months of last year became a, a, a cleansing for myself and a, a practicing of extending grace and extending forgiveness and just saying, Lord, search me. Search where I'm, where I'm holding bitterness and anger. Search me to those places where I'm, I'm holding animosity towards a brother or sister in Christ or anyone else for that matter. And I want you to begin a work in my life that not only sets that person free, but sets me free. Because that's what God wants to do in each of our lives. It's not making the other person pay. It's not assessing their remorse. It's not making them feel uneasy or amplifying their guilt. It's, it's offering forgiveness, Period. Offering forgiveness, letting them go. And I believe there are some instructions that, that Paul gives us in Scripture. The first one is in Ephesians 4, starting at verse 31. He says this to the Ephesian, Ephesian church. He says, get rid of all bitterness. You notice he doesn't say just get rid of some or a tenth or you know, as much as you want or, or as much as you think you need to get rid of. No, he says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Notice he links those two. I believe that unforgiveness is evil. I believe that, that in the same way bitterness that we hold and the anger and the animosity that we hold, that's evil. And the Lord wants to set us free from those things. He says, instead, be kind to, to each other, tender-hearted, and here it is, forgiving one another just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Last week, love as I have loved you, Jesus says. And here he's saying it again, forgive as I have forgiven you. Paul's amplifying this. You are called to forgive. Why? Because Christ forgave you. And here's the deal. I, I made this deal with the, the people in the first service. Okay, if you have never had a reason to be forgiven by Christ at all, if you're absolutely perfect, you got a, you're batting a 1,000, you are exempt from forgiving anyone else. How's that? Okay, and we'll just, you know, you can come up here and you know we'll make that deal and I'll sign and seal it and you, you're exempt if you've never had reason to be forgiven by Christ. You see where I'm getting? Each and every one of us has been on the receiving end of forgiveness from Christ. Therefore, we're responsible to lose the bitterness. You do not have a legal right to retain that bitterness or that animosity, You do not have a legal right to retain the rage and the anger. This righteous indignation that we feel that we deserve to hold on to the harsh words, the slander, the evil behavior. I'm amazed how many Christians validate and sanctify these feelings all under the premise of I've been hurt. Therefore, I can can hold on to these feelings of animosity, anger, resentment. You don't know how hurt I've been, Pastor. You don't know how much I've gone through, Pastor. You don't know my life. You're right, I don't. But what I do know, we've been called to forgive, we've been called to release. It's your responsibility, yes, to guard your heart and your mind and your mouth. Why? Because you're instructed to as Christ forgave you. Look over at Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter three, verse 12, Paul says this to the church of Colossae. He says, since God chose you to be holy people, he loves you must clothe yourselves with tender hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you and you must forgive others. Forgive anyone who offends you. That's what you've been called to do. And and hear me, like so many other things in our our Christian walk, and the disciplines that we, we, we look to embrace more and more in our Christian walk, you can't do this just on your own strength. This is something that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit at work within you that brings you to that place where you surrender and you say, God, I'm willing, would you come in and would you help me? To lay down the offense and to forgive, to set the person free. I love that image that Paul paints with the Colossian church there. He says, give a wide berth. What came to mind as I was reading that was, uh, you've seen on the interstate from time to time, those uh, trucks with the wide loads, and they got a pilot car in the front and a pilot car in the back, and they got the flags, and they got the the... the Amber lights going and what are they saying? There's a wide load coming and we, we can't predict that this truck is going to stay right between the, the white lines. It might veer, it might move, it might kind of shudder you know, left and right a little bit. Be aware. Be aware. I love how Paul says it. He says, Just give a wide berth to people. You know, so often we, we, we narrow it down and we go, if this person that I'm in a relationship with does, doesn't do exactly what they say they're going to do and exactly what I think they should do, then God forbid the wrath that they're going to get. Why can't we just open that up a bit and go, you know what? The same thing in my life as I, this is where I'm aiming, but today, you know what? I might be a little over here. And with the Lord's help and with those around me, they'll just kind of nudge me back where I'm supposed to be. There might be some days where this is where I intend to be. This is how I want to treat my wife and my boy and and people here on staff with me and and people in the church and people like, this is where I want to be and yet for some reason I'm in a funk and I'm over here today. Are Are there some loving people around me who... Hey, Darren, we know your heart. You know, come on. Instead of going, you're out of line. Why'd you do this? Just going, you know what? He's human like I'm human. And the encouragement, just even on the front side, that'll help us get through that wall of conflict a little more is just to give people a wide berth. You know, we're hoping for the best, but you know what? It might be a little left, might be a little right. Do you see, community is messy. <laughs> Marriage is messy. Friendships are messy. But we're called to unity in the body of Christ. We're called to, to be together in this place, worshiping one Lord, one Savior, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and in all and through all. Together. Acts 2, they were together and they had everything in common and they were, they were giving and they were exchanging and they were worshiping together and they were, they were going out and they were expressing the love for one another that changed the world and yet there were sparks. We're called to forgive. Keep a short record of wrongs. Now hear me. I said this in the first service and I think it's important to, to close off this service with this as well. Forgiveness doesn't mean that the relationship has to be restored 100% as it was. Okay, because there are situations and settings where there's abuse, where there's manipulation, passive aggressive, whatever it is, where there's hurt and by forgiving, that doesn't mean that you need to go back into that exact same situation. It's about being wise, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't forgive. You see, forgiveness is not about the heart of the recipient. It's about the heart of the giver, okay? This isn't about the worthiness of the person on the receiving end of the forgiveness. It's about how your heart is and whether it's here in the Holy Spirit and you wanting to honor the Lord and do what he has called you to do. And by releasing the other person, in fact, what you're doing is releasing yourself. So I'm inviting you to bow your heads, close your eyes. I have a question for you. Is there someone you need to forgive? You might have a list of people. I want you to just start with one person. Who do you need to forgive? And just even that question, for some people here in this room, may have caused some heart rates to go up may have caused some beads of sweat to grow on your, on your forehead. Because it's bringing up a lot, of, a lot of emotion. You've been deeply hurt, deeply wounded. You've walked years. We're not talking days or weeks. We're talking years. You've, you've walked years with hurt. I believe, hear me, I believe today is the beginning of you being released from that. And it begins the process of forgiving that person. Setting them free. Asking the Lord to help you with that. Along the lines, another question is what animosity or anger, bitterness needs to be set aside and laid down? You're here and just even the talk of forgiving someone, your fists get a little tighter. Start clenching your jaw a little bit tighter. there's, There's real anger, there's real animosity. So much so that some days you just haven't been able to function. Well, I believe that today is the beginning of releasing that and allowing the Holy Spirit to work on your life as you forgive that person. So Father, I pray that you'd come in and you'd speak to us. You'd begin this process in our lives and, and just even the, the fact of saying yes right now. Yes, I'm, I'm willing to forgive. That's what you want. You want a willing spirit, a broken and contrite heart before you. So Lord, come in. Come hear the words and the meditations of our hearts, words of our mouth, meditation of our heart. Lord, may they be pleasing to you. Lord, do your work. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm inviting you to stand. We're gonna dismiss our our altar team is gonna be up here at the front. Here's the thing I want you to be praying about, and and a a part of that might be coming up to the front here and just receiving prayer. Hear me, do not take one step without asking the Lord, okay? Ask Him, seek Him, He'll give you the answers. Don't do this on your own. I've done it on my own and it doesn't end well, it doesn't. Seek Him, His path, and, and People up here would love to pray with you about what, what an, an appropriate step would be, just seeking the Lord. For some of you, it might be a phone call. Some of you, it might be a note, a letter, a text, an email. For some of you, it might be getting your heart right over the la- over the next week before something like that happens because there's just so much there. And, and be honest, you're not ready right this minute. That's why this is a spiritual thing. Spiritual problems... Requires spiritual answers okay and I want us to be wise about this but I also want us to be God honoring okay